you know, I was eating my feelings, punishing myself for not sticking to a diet, you know, going from juicing all the time to completely like binge eating because I'm like so disappointed I don't look like an Instagram girl um, who's got this perfect post baby body. My inner bully was saying, Aisha, what's wrong with you? Like you're not doing it properly because look, again, another picture, new person. She's doing the thing. She's drinking the juices. Why are you not like this? Hey mama, welcome back to The Whole Mama Show. I'm your host, Aisha O'Reilly, and we're revealing the untold stories of motherhood. The snapback body. I wonder who came up with that term. I highly doubt it was a woman, much less one who's had a baby. Society has become obsessed with how our bodies look before, during, and after pregnancy. The pressure to lose the weight, mum-tum, and lose skin to look like our old selves is everywhere. From TV and movies and magazines, to family and friends, to social media, we're bombarded with so many messages and expectations of how our bodies should look like. And yet many of us only start feeling like ourselves maybe about a year or so after birth. And some of our bodies never look the same. You're not the only mama who didn't snap back. Aisha, another Aisha, is a mom of one and a half. She's currently expecting her second baby. And she shamed herself for not snapping back to her pre-baby body after her first. She shared her story with me remotely. Before we get started, I'd just like to share a quick message from our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Nook. The best shaped soother is one that takes up the least amount of space in the mouth. The Nook orthodontically shaped teat was developed by two orthodontists in Germany after intense research into the shape the mother's nipple takes while feeding. The Nook Soother is thin, narrow, flat, and has all the benefits of Mother Nature. It helps to prevent crooked teeth and the incorrect positioning of the jaw, giving your baby the perfect smile. Visit nook.co.za, that's n-u-k.co.za, and sign up for their pregnancy and baby mailers for more expert advice. Okay, now back to the episode. Hey Aisha, how are you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How's it going? Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited. The second time is like way more fun. (laughs) (laughs) I love how you say it's way more fun. Uh, Do you enjoy being pregnant? First pregnancy, I absolutely did not enjoy. I was like completely confused, overwhelmed. I felt like my body was fighting me. But this time, because I know what to expect, yeah. I feel like I'm enjoying it more, even though it's actually been harder. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, I have a toddler. Yeah. Um, but it's just been like I'm embracing it more, I think. Oh, no, that's great. I can so relate on that. It being a bit harder for the sake of my listeners, in case they haven't heard of you. <laughs> Please, can you share who you are, what you do, and who your family is? Okay, awesome. So I'm Aisha as well. So I'm a mom of one and a half. I've got one on the way. And I started out as a fashion blogger around 12 years ago. It was basically a coming of age blog where I chatted about fashion and makeup, but also certain topics around my life, you know, like, you know, leaving high school, leaving your high school friends and finding love, uh, your first love and your first breakup, which made the blog very popular because it had like this kind of storytelling approach. I think I probably watched Sex and the City and wanted to be Carrie Bradshaw. 
I had the blog throughout uni and it got very popular and obviously we all migrated to social media when that came around. Yeah, now I'm, I'm doing that. I'm a social media influencer and in July I launched my clothing brand, which is something I'd been planning for five years. I was um, saving up for it and I really wanted to self-fund it. Uh, so that's a new challenge that I've taken on. And it's actually in some ways just like having a child. So if you don't follow me, you can follow me on at Online and, and keep up to date with what I'm doing. Wow. I had no idea that you've been doing this for 12 years already. That's insane. Yes, it's a very long time. Well, how old is Khalid now? Is he three yet? So Khalid is uh, three in May and my new baby is due in June, July. So the end of June or July. I have a due date, but I never, ever stick to the due date because with Khalid, he didn't come on the due date. So I just yeah. kind of pushed the due date to the back of, the, of my mind. I don't know about you, but I'm also, um, I guess the right word, the word that people can understand is a bit superstitious. And I, I don't like sharing that kind of information. So even with me, with both of my pregnancies, every time um, anybody who wasn't family asked when, when the baby was due, I'd just be like, oh, you know, June. Or in the middle of the year, or, you know, I wouldn't actually speak to the actual due date. Cause like you said, you just, you just never know. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of into that conscious parenting and like a little bit like baby led. Mm. So I feel like the baby's going to come when it wants to come. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I don't want to dictate, you know, what date that should be. It's all very complicated because, you know, sometimes things happen. You have to be induced or you have to have an elective seizure. Or, mm. So you can't always you know, be as free as you want it to be. Yeah. Um, but I hope to have it just kind of flow and, and go with what the baby wants. So I feel mm. like the baby knows when it wants to come out. So I just kind of go with it. Whenever baby's ready. Yeah. Yeah, it's very yeah. true. I think. That's like for me, almost like a whole other episode of how I think a lot of us as women, we try to control everything and we try to plan everything, um, including our pregnancy journeys and our birth stories and all of that. And uh, a lot of times it's really just not up to us anyway. So I've learned that with my first. Did you learn that with your first as well? To be honest, actually, um, I think looking back, I was more conscious about this with, with Kai. I think it was because I was, I felt so blindsided by, by pregnancy to begin with. And, um, yes. I sort of just thought, you know what? Let me release all of my expectations for even the birth. My goal was, I just want him to, to arrive here healthy. So I didn't have any attachments to natural birth or, you know, birth without medication or cesarean. My concentration and my, energy was going towards I just want a healthy baby no matter how he gets here I'm gonna be fine with that because I don't want to be so stuck in expectations and just get disappointed or feel like you know I'm a failure or you know that kind of thing so yeah. I just let it let it go and literally as I let it go he came the next day <laughs> he, you know, oh wow yeah yeah That's incredible hmm. and you know it was just a, it was a great moment for me because I was just like I consciously surrendered to the process. And, yes. I yeah. love that consciously surrendering. That's such a beautiful phrase because I always choose a word for the year. Yeah. And my word this year was surrender because I was mm. just like saying, you know, last year was so intense, all of us trying to kind of find our way yeah. and like navigate this very foreign space that we were all in. Mm. And then I thought I'll start this year off with just surrendering to whatever comes my way. So whether that's, you know, having to be home or having to be 
out like more feeling rather than planning right um, and i think that's why i'm enjoying this pregnancy more because it's not so much planning and there's no birth plan and all that kind of stuff you know you, you kind of do that with your first a little bit yeah. you yeah. do wonder like what are my birthing options and you speak to loads of people and you kind of get everyone's opinion and so it was like this very overwhelming information search mm. i would say Mm. it's so overwhelming and even if you didn't ask people um for their opinions you're gonna get them (laughs) everybody has some something to say about how you should give birth and how you should you know what you should eat what you should wear and over and above that the fact that you have no idea what you're doing but just like with with you uh feeling it now it's something else being pregnant with another child to take care of as well it's (laughs) it's a lot that's yeah a, that's a lot yeah and then you're also so tired Exhausted. i don't know if you were more tired the second time but i'm like i was way more tired i was tired throughout my pregnancy i think i had maybe one month in the second trimester and from what i remember um that one month or so it was just before lockdown and so when lockdown started you know the, the level five lockdown um yeah. i was absolutely like yeah, I <laughs> was gone because, you know, I was really trying to keep everything as normal as could be for Kai, you know, because obviously he wasn't going to school and I was trying really hard to be that mom. You're locked out in a new baby. and oh, Yeah, gosh. trying to just, you know, do the homeschooling thing, the virtual learning and and and, and keep him occupied and entertained. And it was absolutely exhausting. So I was definitely more tired the second time around. I think age also yes, plays a big part. Definitely. Yeah. I was okay. 28 with my first pregnancy and now I'm, I'm 31. Yeah. And I feel like it's so different. I, I'm just not up for everything I was up mm. for before. Like Khalid sleeps at or gets into bed about half past seven and I actually get into bed at eight. Yeah. I don't go to sleep immediately, but I just need to lie down in my bed <laughs> with my pajamas and just like, if I go to sleep at nine or nine thirty, that's good for me. I, I can't even make it to 10. I literally can't. Otherwise I'm like so hung over the next day. It feels like I'm dragging my body through the house. <laughs> That's um that's me now. <laughs> I I sleep with Kai and Kenzo. Their bedtime is eight o'clock. If I have dinner with them already, then I'm sleeping. I no shame. Yeah. I'm just like okay, well that's it. I'll wake up early tomorrow. Which is quite funny. Your body kind of prepares you for having a baby because I've been waking up at off this five, mm. um just naturally. Yeah, and I feel like oh, okay, cool. This is me being prepared for early wake-ups and yeah you know i'm up quietly before everyone else i have that half an hour to myself so i'm like okay cool we're starting to prepare yeah yeah (laughs) the body's adjusting isn't that i think for me as much as i i always say that i didn't enjoy pregnancy both times but i respect the hell out of it and it's things like that that for me always just amazes me just that preparation of your body knowing exactly what to do and what's happening and you know it's i think it's just incredible especially the first time around because it's just never done it before but it just knows it's beautiful it's so interesting it's fascinating actually it is. and um i don't know if you find this but with kai and kenzo but with me when Khalid was in my womb i yeah. felt like i was a different person like i kind of how his personality is now i found myself being that way when mm-hmm. i was pregnant uh-huh. And then afterwards, I mean, it completely left me. When I met him, I already knew him in a way yeah. because 
I kind of knew this person that, that I was kind of embodying while I was carrying him. And now we, it's like we have this connection or this special bond because I feel like I kind of understand him on a different level as his mother. And I'm, and it makes me respect my mom too. So when she tells me like, I know you, I'm like, yeah, you know me actually. <laughs> you do know me. And you know what? This is why I, I just love talking to moms, you know, because there's always yeah. something new that I didn't even think about that. I think for me, I've always sort of be- not necessarily believed, but what I've I've been told or what I've read and stuff is that your your child takes on your emotions while you're pregnant. So that's that's why, especially in my culture, they they say, you know, like try and keep calm and try and, you know, be stress-free or whatever it is, because the baby kind of picks up on that energy and kind of absorbs it in a way. So there's a lot of superstitions about, you know, why certain yeah. children come out the way they are. Cause it's like, oh, because his mother was going through this at that time or whatever it was. But yeah. I've never heard it from the perspective of you as the mother embodying your child's personality. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I was open about the fact that I, I bonded with Kai straight away. Not bonded. I think bonded isn't the right word, but I had this sort of like, overwhelming love and knowledge of yeah. him like I definitely <laughs> recognized him as soon as our eyes locked you know and I, and that moment is etched me. in my memory every time I think about Kai's birth I get like, you when I yeah, think about that yeah yeah like, I, I, like, I, I know you I know yes. you even though it's a new being but there was that and, and that's exactly it I couldn't really like put it into words, but you verbalized it so well. And for me now, that makes more sense. It makes sense that I was the one embodying his like sort of personality or mood or soul. And then when he came yeah. out, I'm like, of course, you know, it's like, of course, I know, like, you. I, I know you exactly. This, yeah, this makes sense. So yeah, the only I, one thing I discovered about Khalid that I didn't know, Khalid is claustrophobic. Okay. Um, and you gave me quite a hard time in the first three to six months. Yeah. And that's the time when you swaddle babies. Someone said to me, like, it sounds like your baby's claustrophobic because he wouldn't, he screamed in the car seat when I put him backward facing and, and he would just like always wake up at night. And then I always say to my mom, I wish I knew he was claustrophobic because I wouldn't have swaddled him because he obviously was just feeling like so suffocated by this tight swaddled blanket. Yeah. He was screaming all the time. I mean, he can't even take the t-shirt over his head and he gets like completely flustered. Oh, shame. Um, obviously, now he can tell me because he's three. So he can say, like, you know, mommy, like, quickly, mommy, like, not too long. And that's one thing I didn't know about you. So we're still learning them, but it's like that core and essence that you feel like, oh, I just know this person so well. I didn't even know that babies could be claustrophobic. Like, it, I mean, obviously, yeah. it makes sense as I'm listening to you, but it, <laughs> I don't know why it just didn't even sort of click. You know, um, yeah, it's quite. They say if they, if they have the cord around their neck, sometimes they have it. That's like a little bit of research that I've done. And Khalid was born with the cord around his neck, so mm. he's very much like doesn't like blankets on his uh, over himself. Like, I'd have to put warm pajamas on instead of blankets, right? I mean, like, I'm just looking back, and I don't think that's something that is the case with either of my kids, but. I yeah. think it's just the idea of I have Kenzo who can't speak and, you know, he's limited yeah. in his communication, but just to sort of pay, atten- pay more attention. I think for me, that's what I'm really enjoying about motherhood second time around. The first time it was, 
you know, that, that feeling of being overwhelmed all the time. And that took up so much of my mental energy and my space and everything. And, um, you know, always like worried about, okay, when's his next shots, you know, and when, what do I do when this happens and, 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 and he's crying and I'm sleep deprived and this time around, you know, I'm actually really enjoying it. I've, I've actually got that space to enjoy it and knowing that it goes by so, so fast. Uh, I know it's a cliche. That's but so good to hear because just me being pregnant, it's like very uh, empowering to listen to because I think there is that fear when you're pregnant with the next one that it might be the same as the first, you know? Yeah. Because the first is so such a game changer. It's yeah. so rough because everything's so unexpected. I mean, the sleep deprivation is oh. the most unexpected thing. You can't even fathom how tired you're going to be. It's, it's just torture. Like, <laughs> but it's also not forever. So that's the crazy thing. It's like, oh, yeah, I do sleep again. <laughs> I yeah. will be okay. Yeah. You know, I will be able to be a normal person mm. you know, in the next couple of weeks. So those first six weeks, I feel like you, you're kind of like, oh, my gosh, this is my life. It's so overwhelming. <laughs> and now with a second baby, it might be the case of like, actually, this is only six weeks of rough mm. territory and then we'll be home free and more calm and mm. can you just quickly share how you became a mom for the first time when i got pregnant with Holiday, i was 28 i think when and i were married for maybe a year and a half and we had a lot of plans i had plans for my career and i wanted to live in three different cities for two years and try and expand my brand beyond cape town south africa so i had planned to visit los angeles Went to Dubai and then I was going to be here and I wanted to live between the three cities and it at the time it's impossible and then I felt pregnant I had not expected it at all and um, I was in LA it was quite crazy because I was being approached by modeling agents at the time because um, petite modeling is quite big there and big agents that I that could really help me in my career so I was very much not ready to be pregnant because I felt like I was giving up all these amazing opportunities. And then I think I got perinatal depression during my pregnancy. I am prone to anxiety and depression, but I didn't know that perinatal depression was a thing. So mm. if I, like now I know, so I'm more aware of myself, but I definitely instantly got down on myself when I started feeling sick and I was like, oh my gosh, like I've ruined, you know, the, this, these opportunities because now I'm pregnant and I'm sick all the time. Is this what my life's going to be like now? And then I got bigger and, and I was just, I became very, very anxious. Yeah. And then when I had college, I was diagnosed with postnatal depression, I think about eight weeks after having him. But in my journey of having postnatal depression, I discovered that I actually had perinatal. So I was actually going down prior to having him my mood was already you know depressed and I was already anxious I just didn't know that there was a special term for it or there's a way to cope with that and apparently it's quite common in first-time moms because it's such a jarring experience especially yeah. if you never planned it yeah I gave up my career for six months I also had a conversation with my husband um, after having caught him and said I, I don't want to work for six months so I didn't I left my agency that I was with I was with an amazing agent um, Sarit from Capacity Relations. She was my agent and we had a whole plan, the two of us, of how I was going to take over the world. I was at the, at the time so successful. And I dropped everything and I focused on my mental health for six months and just kind of embracing motherhood and the messiness that came with it. 
Um, it was very much a shedding for me because a lot of my identity was rooted in being, you know, in the entertainment space, being a influencer, but also, you know, I did a lot of modeling and that kind of stuff. You know, you can kind of place your identity so much in what you look like and how skinny you are and mm. how many jobs you get that it can shake you to your core that now you feel like you don't have another purpose outside of, you know, being your child's mother. Yeah. And I think that's what the thing that the thing that got me the most was like, oh my gosh, this is all I am now. Mm. And I had to kind of walk my way back to discovering that being a mother is very multifaceted. Yes, I'm a mother, but I'm, I'm also a woman and I'm also a career woman. And there's so much more to me than only one title. Mm. Um, and I'm now I can embrace everything. But back then it felt like, oh my gosh, this is all I can be and I shouldn't work and I shouldn't do anything because this is so all-encompassing and I need to mm. give it a full commitment. Mm. So when you mentioned that you, you took that time off, I think that, you know, I hate to use the word brave because I think obviously it was something that you, you needed, you honored what was important for you and your mental health. But I think especially because you are this personality and, you know, you're in the media, your job and your income and everything was, you know, wrapped up in this kind of industry for you to take that time off, I think is very brave, especially in, in a time now where a lot of people, a lot of online personalities are like, go, 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 you know, and I need to do this. And I need to be present here and I need to produce content and I need to show this and I need to show that. And so I think, especially at a time like new motherhood, I honestly believe that is our most vulnerable moment that a woman who decides to have children goes through. So for you to have prioritized your mental health above all of that, it's something to applaud, especially because of how we grow up and society, it's moving, but it's not, it, it's not at a place yet where it openly welcomes women mothers to be so open about how having children has affected them and especially their mental health in some cultures it is still very taboo to admit that you suffer from anxiety or depression or any other mental health issue and so for you to have taken that step back I think and I'm hoping mothers listening to this or women listening to this know that it's okay for you to pause and get yourself back to feeling as normal as you can. You don't have to sort of play catch up, you know? And I think that's probably the reason why a lot of people are like, oh no, I have to keep going, I have to keep going. Because you're like, I, I don't want people to miss me and I don't want to be irrelevant anymore. Is that something that even sort of played in your mind at all when you made that decision to take a step back for six months? I think at the time that I made the decision, I didn't think that I was ever going to go back to doing this. I thought I would be a full-time mom and I was comfortable with, with that decision. And I kind of had the support of my family. Um, I actually moved in with my parents. My husband was traveling and I was alone with a baby and I moved in with him for three of those six months where I just felt like I'm just going to completely be, like immerse myself in my world. It did feel brave because I was giving up my career at a very pinnacle stage where things were going very positively. A lot of people said to me, you know, don't do this. It's a bad decision. You can't come back from it. A lot of other moms who had babies said, oh, it's, you know, you just need to get yourself together. 
you want to do, you'll be back at it. Like these other content you can make and sending me content ideas, which is all very thoughtful and from a good place. But I mm-hmm. felt like I needed to just actually stop because I was going to lose it completely. So the difficult or the brave part, I think, was when after the six month period, I felt okay and I wanted to work again. And that was actually the way the bravery came in because it's like putting yourself out there after you've done nothing and trying to like sort of make a comeback in a way. And mm-hmm. that was super hard. I mean, I went in to clients, old clients of mine and offered them very, very low rate. I'm also not afraid to ask for a favor of help. Mm. So I, I approached a photographer friend and I said, look, I've not been working for six months. I can't afford to pay you, but if you can just collaborate until I'm on my feet, I can give you all the paid work that I get. And then she was like, okay, we'll do that. And yeah. I approached a friend who was in PR and asked if, if I could work for her. I actually secretly worked a PR job mm. with a pseudonym. My name was Michelle on email. So if anyone spoke to me <laughs> at that time. <laughs> I was working for part-time oh, wow. in the campaigns. Yeah, it was like a little secret. So I actually never, ever told anybody that oh, wow. until obviously my family knows about it. So yeah. I worked for, for Bert and, and she helped me kind of get my career back on track after that period. But I did have to go in. It was really discounted rate. And people jumped at it. Well, clients jumped at it because it was so cheap for them. And mm. I would never offer that in the past. Mm. So they were getting like so much for really next to nothing. But then I had to make those sacrifices to climb. It's like starting over completely. Yeah. Um, almost like an internship in a way. So that's what I had to do. That felt really brave for me because I didn't know if it was going to work. It did and it, it helped me. Um, and now we're running everything in-house in, in my company. I don't have an agency anymore. I do everything myself now. And it was part of working for the agency that helped me to just see like, oh, I can actually do this myself. Mm. I just need to um, get someone to assist me. So everything worked out in the end, but it definitely felt very scary and overwhelming. Yeah. I think for me, being independent for so long, having to ask my husband, you know, just for money to go and have my nails done, for example, it just felt so much more intense than yeah. I think it would feel for somebody else. It felt like very disempowering because it's mm. like, I can't even do this one thing that I want to do for myself. I have to kind of run it by somebody. Mm. And that's what got me back to working. It might have been a nail appointment or like a wax or something where I had to ask Gwen to send me some money. I wanted to do something for myself. Yeah. And that feeling of asking was just like, it just didn't feel good because I'd had my own money before. Yeah. So that was what pushed me to like, okay, maybe you need to go back into the working world. And, and I, I even went into it with like, I'm not going to be an influencer. I'll work for an agency and I'll help other influencers. Like that's what I thought I was going to do. Right, um, right. And then I just found my way back here. <laughs> Wow. I had no idea about that. The, this part of your, your story. I mean, granted, I don't know <laughs> your entire story, but this on its own, I think that's really inspiring to know. Naturally, before we have kids and we're career women and all of that, it obviously affects that. It affects our dreams. It affects our goals and <laughs> it affects everything and especially our bodies. How much or how little did your body change after having Kali? I have this thing. I've discovered it now, the second pregnancy. I don't show at all until I'm around seven months. And then I literally explode. <laughs> and this false perception with my first pregnancy that I wasn't going to gain weight at all. So I thought I'll be one of those moms who just has the bump and then has the baby and immediately snaps back because I wasn't really showing. Up until six months, I was extremely small. I was still wearing extra small clothing and 
I was tiny. And then I just like completely puffed out and I got bigger. And then when I gave birth to Harley, I had an epidural and I had so much sweating after, after birth. It took, mm. it took a really long time for it to go away. Mm. I actually gained weight after giving birth. So mm. in total, I, I only gained 11 kilos, but it felt in my mind like 30 kilos because I was so, so tiny. Yeah. Um, and it was a big adjustment because I'd always been small. I've, I've always been naturally skinny. But like I said, a lot of my identity was rooted in the way I looked. So right. it was like this big adjustment of like, oh my gosh, I'm no longer this cute, skinny girl. I'm now like this, I have this new body and I had to wrap my head around it. Like mm. I had uh, to really understand that like, I've got curves now and, um, I had a tummy and, I never had that before and like, dressing myself was so complicated now and everything I wore because I, my boobs got bigger because I was breastfeeding, it felt like I was like extremely sexy and I was yeah. like, I'm not trying to be sexy, <laughs> I just want to wear a t-shirt or like shorts and I, I felt like when I wore shorts, I looked really, really like freaking Beyonce and crazy in love. It was like, whoa, like you're just going to Woolies, like you don't have to look like this. So all my previous outfits I was trying to wear when I wore them was being curvy. I was like, it was just shocking to me. So then I, I felt like very taken aback and I, I tried everything, like, you know, all the stuff we all do, the diets, exercise and, and I just couldn't shake the weight. Even until I had I got pregnant now. I still weighed the same. I never ever lost any weight. I just became more accepting of myself and it became much healthier in my choices of what I eat. I stopped over exercising. It took me about two years for my stomach to just like get back to itself. I shamed myself so much in the mirror and called myself fat and, and then realizing and after doing a lot of work and in counseling and health coaching and stuff on my perception was the problem, not really the way I look. And I gave my body the time to readjust. And eventually, you know, your skin on your tummy does go back to tightening. It's a little bit of exercise, of course. But I was one of those people that you could tell me anything. I would try it. I could yeah. tell me those shake is going to make me lose three kilos. I'll be like, okay, I'm doing this new diet. When you just said now that it took you about two years or so until your, your tummy kind of went back to us, like I'm kind of normal. And for me, it was quite similar. I always say like about 20, 21 months or so just under two years before I started feeling comfortable in my body again. And, you know, when I say that to people, people are really shocked. They're like, oh my gosh, that's a long time. And I'm like, is it though? Is it really a long time? Because it makes me really think about other media and society and family. And I don't know if it is because I'm a mom now, but I do feel that we're in a time where it's almost more expected you know there's more pressure put on us as women to have that post baby snapback body as you're talking and going through the sort of flow of you know at first you were trying to do everything and then you, you realized that you know you needed to change your own perception about it how do you feel about the post baby snapback culture that is really prevalent in society and especially being someone who who is an online public figure. Oh, I'm very passionate about this. How much time do you have? <laughs> I feel like the post baby snapback concept is like infuriating a little bit because I totally bought into it and I felt like I needed to have those pictures that, you know, you put them next to each other and that's like, this is nine months later. Yeah. This- kind of buy into all that stuff and it was actually a stage where I blocked a lot of fitness influences on social media because I was so angry and frustrated at the messaging I've now unblocked them because I'm a much better person yeah. but I just felt like I couldn't even look at someone telling me that 
this is how they look after they had their baby. Mm. I know they were sharing their story, but it was so negatively impacting my mind. Mm. Where I was feeling like I have to be like that person. Like I need to drink these drinks that they're drinking and have these injections and like all these things that they said they were doing. I was willing to spend the money and do it because I really wanted to look like that person. And I felt like it really took over my thinking. Because I would obsess over this idea of like, oh, if this person on social media could do it, then I can do it. Like, mm. And I know that's the reason why they posted that, because they want to inspire you. But I felt it was negatively impacting me because I would get so down on myself that I wasn't having that post-baby, nine months later, rock hard abs or, right. or the journey story that they were having. Going on these diets that they sell you, I bought them the post-baby eating plans and stuff. And you go on these diets, you really commit initially and then you maybe lose a little bit of weight and then the mm. minute you eat normally again, mm. you're back there. So then you have to buy their next thing, like whatever else they have. <laughs> That's how they you. get you. That's how they get you. <laughs> Literally. And then I would get so upset because I'm like, I've bought all your things. Like, why don't I look like you? And it's like, because I'm not you. And and realizing that, you know, we have our own biodiversity, our bodies are or really our own and we can't really follow a cookie cutter approach. What's healthy to me is not the same as what's healthy to you. And that's when I discovered um, my very good friend now who's also a health coach. My sister had given me her cookbook to look at and I was like, oh, I love the recipes in here. They all seem really great. And her name's Melissa Dalport. She has a cookbook called Whole. And I contacted her. We know each other anyway. And I was like, oh, you know, the cookbook's amazing. And we started this conversation about doing health coaching together and she kind of taught me as a health coach about food and eating and, and where I was at emotionally. You know, I was eating my feelings, punishing myself for not sticking to a diet, you know, going from juicing all the time to completely like binge eating because I'm like so disappointed I don't look like an Instagram girl um, who's got this perfect post-baby body. So I got super frustrated one stage. I think college must have probably been a year when I was like, I'm kind of blocking all of them if i see one more ad i'm blocking the person because it's like social media gives you what you were looking for right yeah and that's how the algorithm works so it was giving me all of this feedback saying you know you can't do this and this is the side by side of how she looked so my inner bully was saying aisha what's wrong with you like you're not doing it properly because look again another picture new person she's doing the thing she's drinking the juices why are you not like this that was really a journey of self I'm so against like sharing post baby progress imagery mm. <laughs> now. I won't do it. Even if I come out of this birth having rock hard abs, mm. I won't do a look at me now because I just feel like it's so triggering for so many women. And we're not at the stage where we can even handle it because we don't quite understand. But I think a lot of us also seek that out because we want to kind of reclaim our older identity before kids and you're kind of fighting to get it back, not realizing that if you surrender and embrace where you're at, you actually have a very new, beautiful identity and this body carry the baby and it's yeah. still the walking and doing things. And it's like, that's what really changed me, like realizing that, oh my gosh, I've actually carried a whole person, mm. birthed them, mm. and I'm able to function, which is kind of bizarre if you even think about yeah. the whole process of making a baby and giving birth to it like it's so much more than just a six pack or a perfect butt you know even when you're on a on a downward part of wanting to have surgery you get to that point sometimes where you're like okay there's no other option i need to have liposuction and 
the Brazilian backlift and all these things you say to yourself and it's mm. so negative and I'm so so against it now when I even see it I'm like oh I can't <laughs> it is understandable trying to get something of your old self back because it is this like I can't remember who it was someone had said that when you give birth the old you dies in a way and so I also say like you know you have to kind of mourn the person or have a moment to just say bye to your old self in a way, <laughs> you know, because I have never come across a woman, uh, I've never come across a mother who has said that becoming one hasn't changed her. It changes you, everything about you. And so, you know, the idea of trying to ha- get our bodies back to what they used to look like, do you think that's even a realistic expectation? Definitely not. One of my family members is a fitness trainer that I worked with. And she's got an amazing body. She's very committed. And her kids are older. They're 9 and 11. Mm. And she says to me, like, I still have loose skin. Even though I've got a six-pack and the best arms. And I diet and I do these things because that's her industry. And that's what she's passionate about. I think you postpartum for the rest of your life. Yeah. And the minute you accept the way you look and feel, you will be happy. If you look at Kardashian Jenner girls that have so much surgery, which mm. kind of wants you, makes you sometimes want to have surgery. That's not realistic. You know, you can't look 15 <laughs> after having a baby. <laughs> I was actually talking to a girlfriend the other day and we were at a cafe and we looked at these two girls walking in and we both said, wow, look at those bodies. Like we both admired their bodies. And I said to her, I was like, you know what? We looked exactly like that at 23. I even mean, have husbands and kids and homes and insurance yes. and <laughs> medical aid bills and, you know, going to change tires and figuring out which school you need to send your child to, what parenting approach yeah. you're going to take. There's so much. We're in a different world, in a different realm. So we can look at those 20-something-year-olds who have this carefree life and, of course, they look freaking fabulous drinking a green smoothie in their sports clothes because that's that's <laughs> where they at and we were there too and it was fun and we enjoyed it and it was carefree but let's like be present you know and enjoy what mm. we're at where we're at now and try and have fun in these moments at the same time i've also been gone on a journey of trying to find that usefulness again because it can get very serious being a mom and i've just like asked myself to do things that i enjoyed doing when i was 16 so kind of sat back and i was like what did you enjoy as a girl i specifically enjoyed drawing and painting mm. and i always made an excuse for not doing it you know i'm so busy and whatever, whatever. and then I went with my mom to the crazy store and she wanted to buy a couple of toys for the children. And I would normally say like, oh, I need to go and get canvas and oil paints and I need to do an online art course and all these things. Yeah. I would say to myself. Yeah. And I walked past this painted and I said, I'm painting today. And this is what I'm going to do for like an hour. Yeah. And the kids were around me and they were on their coloring books and my brother's kids. And they were like, Auntie Asha, we didn't know that you could paint. And I said, yeah, I actually <laughs> can paint. I forgot I liked it. I was a 16 year old girl and the kids were occupied like I wasn't doing admin and being like this this woman that you pressurize yourself to be a strong woman who's like I've got everything covered I was like actually right now in this moment for an hour I'm 16 and I'm just painting and there's nothing that's important everyone's eating dinner they're all playing I don't have to sit down with the medical aid team and say oh well how are we going to (laughs) plan baby (laughs) and I think we need to do more of that as moms too like just access that inner child usefulness Yes. Amen. Amen to that. I love that. I also draw. All right. Rather, I used to. I can't say I still do because I haven't done it 
in years. I think the last time I did it, I was in my early 20s. And yeah, life yeah. started. And I just never went back to it. And so I always tell my husband every time I'm like, I need to get back into drawing. I need to get back into drawing. And every two years, I buy myself a new pencil set. I buy myself a new <laughs> sketch pad. I do all, I do everything as if I'm going to do it. And then I don't know what it is. Something always just stops me. I think I'm, it's because it's, I haven't done it in so long. I'm almost scared to do it because I'm going to yeah. realize that I'm so rusty at it. But it is something that I'm like, you know what? I need to make time for that because that for me was my first love. You know, I'm a creative yeah. and I'm able to do all these things. I create and I write and I design, but I haven't drawn. And for me, that's like the absolute bare sort of basic of my creativity. That's what was the last thing about painting. I didn't have a reason to paint to there wasn't an idea in my mind I literally yeah. just put all the colors on a palette and it was not cute like a painting of the first one I did like, like really my, the kids were like what is it and I said I'm not quite sure <laughs> I'm just exploring colors and my nephew's 10 and he was like what color are you trying to make and do you remember how so I'm like no I don't actually and he's like Okay, what color would you like to make? I can help you because we just went to school. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, cool. Like, how do I make brown? And how do I make purple? And I'm like, okay, you need to make this and this. And it was like really fun to just be a kid for that. Just, yeah. it was just an hour. Dads have this way of just turning out and doing their thing. Like, yeah. whether it's playing a video game or yeah. building, uh, <laughs> like those little blocks. I think they're called technic, technic blocks or, you know, all these like, things that dads do for themselves and they just yeah. they just do it yeah they don't think about anything else in that moment so we need to have more dad energy in our life I do it's so true and i'm laughing at the video game thing because i just find it so hilarious every time i see kev my husband he he's downloaded mario kart on his phone and so there i'm thinking <laughs> that he's doing something you know so-called important and i'm like babe what are you up to he's like i can't play mario kart i'm like what how are you playing mario kart in the <laughs> middle of our day where the kids are around or whatever he's like no it's just two minutes you know it's just completely completely out of yeah, it yeah they're really good at that they get it prioritizing oh, and need in that moment and i try and pull from that because yeah my husband's also got that yeah they're wired differently that's what it is they really are it's just a little bit frustrating we'd love them to just be wired a little bit more like that they balance things because can you imagine if they were two years in the marriage wouldn't that be crazy oh god <laughs> it'd be like lists all over the house i need my husband's energy to balance everything in the house <laughs> it makes more sense so yeah. what's your whole mama truth Aisha oh I think I can give you a word and that word for me is definitely consciousness I think I'm a conscious mother and I wasn't a conscious woman before I was a mother that's definitely something that that I birthed with my son I birthed consciousness and I tried to apply that in everything in my life like do everything consciously and whether it's parenting or my business or my relationship or even my food, I try and be conscious of what I'm doing and be mindful at all times. Mm, that's deep. I love that. <laughs> I just, I wish you all the best. I wish you the best, especially with this pregnancy that everything goes well. You have a beautiful delivery and postpartum as beautiful of a postpartum experience as you can, <laughs> as you can have. Really. Yes, thank, you. thank you so much. I really appreciate that. 
I might um, have to text you for some tips when <laughs> when it yeah. gets to that stage because I definitely can't envision having two people. Now but, look, it's um, it's a lot, <laughs> yeah. but but you know what? Um, your first is your proof of concept. That's that's the thing that I go by. Like, <laughs> you know, he survived. He's a he's an actual person, and you know, I look at my husband. Yeah. I'm like, we did well. We can do the second one just as well. So. You know, whenever yeah. you're sort of feeling a bit like, oh my goodness, what have I got myself into? Just look at Khalid and be like, oh, but he's he's good. He's he's functioning. He's happy. He's healthy. Yeah, he's my reference point. He's your <laughs> reference point. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. For... Thank you so much, Aisha. I loved our conversation. Me too. Listening to Aisha's story and how she struggled with her postpartum body took me back to my own experience. I also gained weight after I had Kai, something I hadn't expected at all. I felt fat and ugly and wobbly. I believed that all people would see when they spoke to me was an unattractive woman and wondering what happened to me. I wrote a blog post about this and how I was tired of having to justify my weight gain and body shift. It's called, I'm tired of explaining my postpartum body. Do have a read and weigh in on my blog. So a couple of years ago, I had an aha moment when my husband said, of course, your body will never be the same. Your body never created a human before, but this body has. I started thinking about my body very differently because it is a different body. Creating a whole human is no small feat. And it's about time the world celebrated our human making bodies instead of shaming them. Thanks for joining us on this episode. If you're enjoying my podcast, I'd really appreciate your support to reach more women. You can do that by leaving a quick one-liner review, giving it a rating out of five, subscribing or sharing it on your social media. And to really help, you can, of course, do all four of those steps. As always, I love to hear from you. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter or YouTube at Aisha and Life. That's A-I-S-H-A-A-N-D. L-I-F-E. You can also find my honest journey in motherhood on my blog, AishaInLife.com. Once again, I'm Aisha O'Reilly, and I hope this episode has left you feeling a little bit more whole, mama.